0: Please turn with me in your Bibles now to Acts chapter 14. We are returning. Uh, We've considered the end of Acts 14 already, but we are uh, returning to really focus this morning our attention just upon verse 22. I guess we'll consider really verses 19 through 22. Uh, But uh, as was mentioned already, uh, Paul's aim here in the text is to uh, strengthen the disciples, to encourage them to continue in the faith. And we're going to really focus our attention upon what his message is and what those words were that encouraged the saints. We just sang here in Psalm 84, Blessed they who in your strength confide confide, and in whose heart are pilgrims' ways. They make the veil of tears a spring with showers of blessing covering. There's a connection in this psalm between uh, abiding in the house of God, being among the people of God, and the way in which that strengthens us for this pilgrim journey that we share together. And it makes me wonder if Paul and Barnabas with the disciples were singing Psalm 84 as they considered these things together. Well, let us give our careful attention to God's word. Acts chapter 14, verses 19 through 23. This is the word of God. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, With prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Amen. This is the Word of God. Our text begins by setting our attention upon the Apostle Paul. And particularly, it sets our attention upon the great suffering that Paul has just experienced at the hand of these Jews who followed him from Antioch and Iconium. It was not enough that these Jews drove him out of their cities. No, they were still so filled with hatred for the Apostle Paul that they followed him all the way to Lystra and they stirred up the crowds there and they stoned him together. It wasn't until they thought that Paul was dead that they left him. So think about the Apostle Paul. It could be very easy for us to just read by this stoning And not give enough attention to it. Think upon the suffering that the Apostle Paul has just endured. Perhaps on his mind before he's actually stoned, he thinks of Stephen, who was earlier stoned. And lifted up his eyes and saw heaven opened and Jesus smiling upon him. Did Paul think he was going to die when the stones started to fly? Had he begun, or maybe had he finished, preparing his heart and soul to leave this world and to enter into glory? Was he ready to see his Savior? Had he felt like he had finished his race and was ready to hear those wonderful words, Well done, good and faithful servant. Since the text tells us that the Jews supposed he was dead, he was clearly left unconscious. They thought that the deed was done, that he was dead. So what happened when the Apostle Paul started to come to? As he revived, what did he think? And how did he make sense of waking up again in this world? Do you think that he was maybe disappointed? After all, the Apostle Paul would later write that to depart and to be with Christ is far better. Was he prepared at this point to finish what he thought was his race, to cross that finish line, and to just put all suffering and sorrow behind him and to go be in glory? Just consider his pain. I imagine Paul reviving and really wondering at the state of things. Perhaps it was a sunny day and he sees this bright light. Does he think he's in glory? Well, it would only take a matter of moments for the pain to flood in. And to rush in upon him and to clearly communicate that no, this was not his time. As the reality of these things set in, how do you think Paul made sense of them? He had just gone through this intense suffering that ordinarily would deliver one into glory. But instead of being delivered now through death, he awoke battered and bruised beyond anything that any of us will likely experience. His bones were likely broken. He was no doubt deeply bruised. He was probably disfigured beyond recognition. And so he was probably very discouraged and depressed. So what did Paul do? Well, thinking through these things helps us to understand, to recognize how truly remarkable Paul's response was. When he revived, he re-entered the city that had just stoned him. The next day, Paul and Barnabas continued their missionary journey going to Derby. There they preached the gospel and made many disciples. And then they began this return trip. Despite all of the suffering that Paul had just endured, despite being so physically hindered and no doubt tired beyond belief, he continued in that work that Christ had called him to. Now, meditating upon these things helps us to consider Paul's counsel now to each of the churches along the way. After all, his aim is to strengthen the souls of the disciples. His aim is to encourage them to continue in the faith. Whenever you receive counsel, you consider the source, or at least you should. You're not going to take financial counsel from one who is in deep debt. You're not going to receive parenting advice from one who has never been a parent before. Whenever you receive counsel, you naturally, I hope, consider the source. You need to know, is there any real weight behind these words? Well, as we consider the source regarding the Apostle Paul's instruction, we have every reason to assign the greatest weight to his words. Why? Well, because he obviously lived precisely what he preached. Waking from what is one of the worst possible trials, Paul continues down this path that Christ has assigned to him. He experienced the severity of stoning, but he nonetheless pressed onward for the race that Christ had assigned to him. And so seeing this in the apostle's life should give us every reason to attend to his words. Seeing this in his life should make us all the more eager to listen to this man. Seeing him embody that strength of soul and that encouragement and continuation in the faith should make us attend to his words with an utmost sobriety and expectation that we too will be strengthened, that we too can be encouraged by his words. So let's now focus upon his words. Paul preached a message with two parts, and we'll consider those parts in turn. First of all, the apostle Paul simply says, remember where you are. Remember where you are. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. But the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. When Jesus described the pilgrim's path, he described it as hard. And that word hard shares the same root word with our word tribulation here in the text. It means pressed, it means to have been made hard. We might think of how diamonds are formed after years and years of intense. Pressure and heat. It is the intensity of that heat and high pressure that transforms carbon into diamonds. As disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, this is how we need to think about our time in this world. We need to remember where we are. We are on a path that is characterized by great pressure and by intense heat. It is that pathway filled with many pressings. So let's consider some of the characteristics of these many tribulations through which we must pass. First of all, they are varied. Paul says that we must pass through many tribulations. And in 2 Corinthians 11, the Apostle Paul tells us about many of his own. He wrote of many imprisonments and countless beatings, often being near death. Five times he received the forty lashes, less one. Three times he was beaten with rods. Once he was stoned. Three times he was shipwrecked. He spent an entire night and day adrift in the sea, and on his journeys he faced many dangers, dangers from rivers, robbers, and his own people, the Gentiles and false brothers. He faced dangers in different circumstances, in the wilderness, in the city, and at sea. He had many sleepless nights. He went without food and water. He faced cold and exposure. And then he ends saying, on top of it all, he had the daily pressure of the anxiety he had for all of the churches. When Paul lists his tribulations in 2 Corinthians 11, he teaches us that they are varied. Because it is through many tribulations that we enter the kingdom of God. And this is similarly why Peter will write and say, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you as if something strange were happening to you. It is through many tribulations that we enter the kingdom of God. And so we will in this life, so long as we are in these bodies, we will go through many tribulations. Brothers and sisters, remember where you are. In a certain sense, these various trials remind you that you are actually on the proper path. You are actually on the pathway that God has designed to bring pilgrims into His kingdom. Second, these tribulations are necessary. Paul says that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. The tribulations are necessary in the Pilgrim's Progress. Bunyan writes about hypocrisy and formalists who climbed over the wall trying to avoid all of the tribulations, hoping that they could just sneak in at the end. But because they did not go through the many tribulations, their pathway did not end in glory. These tribulations are necessary, and we need to remember that they are necessary as deemed by the very Savior who laid down his life for us. As the one who entered into this life, took upon himself our flesh, lived through the miseries of this life, and died upon upon the cross in our place, he is the one that deems these necessary. The one who has the greatest love for you says these are necessary. They are necessary to teach us humility. They are necessary to drive us deeper and deeper into our relationship with Christ. They are necessary to develop our prayers and to keep us constant in prayer. They are necessary to strengthen our faith. They are necessary to lead us into that comfort that is only found in Christ. They are necessary so that then we can comfort others with that comfort with which we've been comforted. They are necessary to loosen our grip upon this world. And they are necessary to prepare us for glory. So remember where you are as you face these various trials. Remember that they are necessary. And that they are necessary because the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who loves you more than anyone else, has deemed them to be necessary. Related to this, third, they are preparatory. In 2 Corinthians 4, God's word teaches us that through many, that, that these many tribulations are orchestrated for our good. They are preparatory. Paul says that even though our outer self is wasting away, though the physical body is wearing away the inner self, the soul is being renewed day by day. How so? He says, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. We are to use these words. He is not saying that your afflictions are in and of themselves light and momentary. He is saying, however, that by comparison, when you enter into glory, because of the weight of glory that you will then know, you will look back and say, they were light and momentary. Again, consider the source. These words come from the pen of the Apostle Paul. And he writes these words as one who was acquainted with a higher, a greater amount of suffering than any of us will ever know. And not some ordinary kind of suffering, not just the kind of suffering that attends life in a fallen world, but the kind that fills the pilgrim's path. Writing out of that experience, the Apostle Paul is well able to say that these great sufferings are again, by comparison, light and momentary when held up against the grand eternal weight of glory that God will give. So brothers and sisters, remember where you are. Your Savior is through each and every trial. He is preparing you for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As you remember where you are, you also need to remember that there is a promise that attends your path. In Romans 8, the Apostle Paul asks an essential question for those whose path will be filled with tribulations. He asks, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? Can anything separate us from the love of Christ? And he says, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is an unbreakable promise regarding every tribulation that you will ever enter. Will that tribulation separate you from the love of Christ? No. Instead, you will be brought through it as one who is more than a conqueror. To strengthen the souls of these believers and to encourage them to continue in the faith, Paul begins by saying, remember where you are. You see, we tend to think of this world as the end. That this is where it is at. That this world is is really the purpose and the goal. But in eternity, it will be but a vapor. It will be seen for what it really is. It is fleeting. And when we think that this world is where it is at, when our minds have that kind of conformity to this world, well, then we are made much more vulnerable to various temptations. Do you remember how Satan tempted Eve in the garden? Even though she was placed in that beautiful, plentiful garden, Satan still came to her and tempted her with an easier way. And that was a powerful temptation. It was a temptation that worked. Do you remember how Satan tempted Christ in the wilderness? Forty days without food and water. And he's, or without food, he is, he's there suffering in the wilderness. And Satan comes and tempts him with an easier way. Way. Well, that temptation comes to us constantly. That temptation says there's an easier way, a way to go around all of these tribulations. Maybe there's a way to avoid them. Maybe there's another path without all of the pressing. Well, that is why these words are so essential. This is why the Apostle Paul says, in order to strengthen the souls of these believers, in order to uh, encourage them to continue in the faith, you need to remember where you are. These tribulations are not saying you're on the wrong path. They're saying you're on the right path. And these are necessary, and these are preparatory, and these will be used by God to prepare you, to bring you into his eternal kingdom. So remember where you are. It is through many tribulations that we must enter the kingdom of God. And that word through reminds us that all of these tribulations, though varied, though necessary, though preparatory, each and every tribulation is, every last one of them, temporary. Assigned to each tribulation this characteristic, it is temporary. While the will of God will run through many tribulations, it also never, ever ends there. He will always bring you through. So remember that whatever trials you will face in this life, they have an expiration date. The Lord Jesus can see them. He knows them. He knows the beginning from the end. You might not know it, but he does. Some of you are in those places right now. You are in the dark valley that seems like it has no end. But hear the word of God. It is through many tribulations that you must enter the kingdom of God. And your valley will end because the Lord Jesus knows the way to bring you through it. He walked the path in front of you, He will bring you through. You may not now be in a great trial. But hearing these words makes you wonder. What awaits me? What will that darkness be like for me? If you're not in that place in a trial now, thank God, give praise to him, but lay these words to heart nonetheless. Believe that these words are infallible and inerrant. God will bring you through them. Let God's word right now renew your mind so that you will not be held captive when you are tempted to believe that your suffering will go on forever. Remember that it is through many tribulations that we must enter the kingdom of God. Remember where you are. Well, Paul's message has a second part. Remember where you are first Second, remember where you were going. Notice in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus had the same exact message. Jesus gave the same twofold encouragement that the Apostle Paul gives here. Jesus said that the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to eternal life. Well, here the Apostle Paul is simply a faithful messenger of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he is delivering that same message now to these new churches. He is strengthening their souls and encouraging them to continue in the faith by saying that through many many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Or in other words, remember where you are and where you are going. The pressed path ends in eternal life. This path that leads through many tribulations is that one that will end in glory remember where you were going And this world works so very hard to get you to forget that you will end in glory as you are united to Jesus Christ by faith you are bound for his eternal kingdom And so let's just meditate together right now upon upon where we are going. In Philippians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul writes, But we are citizens, or he says, But our citizenship is in heaven, for from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, for everyone who is trusting in Christ, your citizenship is in heaven, which means you are just a pilgrim here, you are just passing through. So what awaits you in glory? What will heaven be like? Well, listen to God's word as he gives us a glimpse of that glory in Revelation chapter 7. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. If you are trusting in Christ, you will be there one day. Going on in the text, Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God. And they serve him day and night in his temple, and he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Therefore they shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Remember where you are going. Here we have saints perfected in glory. Here we have those who have been brought through various trials. Those who have finished their course, who have run their race, who have heard, well done, good and faithful servant." Here we have those who were prepared by the various pressings. Here we have those who have now been set free from their love of this world and have their full hope now set in heaven. We have those who, whose many weighty and lengthy afflictions now seem light and momentary because of all of this resplendent glory that surrounds them in heaven. Brothers and sisters, remember where you are going. Remember that where you are at is not where you will remain. Remember that here you have no home. That you are a pilgrim just passing through. That you are a child of God. And that as Peter writes, you have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Who are being guarded by God's power through faith when this salvation is revealed. Remember where you were going. Here in our text, the Apostle Paul came from a human perspective so close to entering into glory. He was left there at death's doorstep, as it were, and I wonder if these events were used by God to form that beautiful biblical balance that we read about in his letter to the Philippians. There he says, without hesitation to depart and to be with Christ is far better. And yet he submits himself to the will of God saying, Lord, if I can be of good service to you, if I can help my brothers and sisters in this life, so be it, because to live is Christ and to die is gain. Brothers and sisters, this is why we are to set our minds on things above. Paul writes in Colossians 3, if then You have been raised with Christ. He's saying if you trust in Christ, if you have experienced the new birth, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Because when Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Remember where you are going. Have you ever been eager and anxious for a vacation? You've put it on the calendar. You've begun making plans. You've looked at all of the fun things that you are going to do. You're imagining what life is going to be like in an extraordinary way, right? Not ordinary. You're going to take a break from the ordinary, and you are going to go live the extraordinary for a week or two. Well, what happens to you when you begin to plan that vacation? Well, it fills your mind. And with each and every passing day, you continue to think about the extraordinary and it begins to impact today or it begins to impact the ordinary. In fact, it usually has so much of an effect that when one is getting closer to that break, They almost live as if above the ordinary. And that is really how we are to live the Christian life. Vacation is nothing. You are bound for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. We are to live as those who are so eager and excited about what awaits us that we can endure with patience all of the tribulations of this life. So as you remember where you are, also remember where you are going. The tribulations through which you will pass in this life, because of Christ, they will end in that glory beyond all comparisons. As the Apostle Paul emphasizes that the way to glory passes through many tribulations, we need to remember that the Lord Jesus Christ, that one who is seated in heaven right now, he walks with us as a shepherd through all of the peaks and valleys that will attend the way. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Because Jesus Christ Is your king because he is your shepherd. You lack no good thing. The way will be attended with many blessings. He will make you lie down in green pastures, he will lead you beside still waters, he will restore your soul. These things will be a part of the pilgrim journey. And when those tribulations come, he will be with you, he will walk. With you, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For your rod and your staff they comfort me. Because of this, we can say, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The Lord Jesus Himself will bring you through. Do you remember what happened with Daniel's three friends? The furnace was heated seven times hotter. And they stood before King Nebuchadnezzar and said, One way or the other, our God will deliver us out of your hands. They were saying, He's either going to perform a miracle and we're going to survive, but even if not, He will deliver us, even if it's through death. And when they were thrown into the furnace, there were not three men there, there were four. Because one was with them. If you are united to Jesus Christ by faith, you are bound for his heavenly kingdom. And it is because of what awaits you. You can, with patience, endure the tribulations of this life. You can rely upon God's promise of sustaining grace. You can look to the promise that his grace is sufficient for you. Because his power will be made perfect in your weakness. If the Lord tarries, all of us will have to walk through that great tribulation of death. And that final tribulation rightfully fear, fills us with fear. But even as we think about that tribulation, we need to think upon Christ in the way in which he will use it to bring us into glory. Listen to how Paul ends 1 Corinthians 15. He says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. What is Paul's takeaway there? Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Remember where you are and remember where you are going. As we close, I just want to end by being incredibly practical. How do we do this? It's one thing to hear it and to say, yes, I want that. I want to always remember where I am. I want to think of this world rightly, and I always want to have an abiding understanding of where I am going. But how so? I mean, since this world is filled with many tribulations, how can I remain focused? How can I remember these things and be strengthened and encouraged in the faith? Well, our text here answers those questions. If your Bible is still open there, you can look with me at the text. Verse 19 says, They stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. And then verse 20 begins, But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. The answer to that question, these questions, is right there in the text. What strengthened the heart of the Apostle Paul? What encouraged him to continue in the faith? What did the Lord Jesus Christ provide the Apostle with to recover from that great tribulation? Well, when he woke, he was surrounded by the disciples. And if you must wake from a terrible tribulation and not awake in glory, then you want to awake to what is next best, and that is to be surrounded by the disciples. It is that surrounding that strengthened the Apostle Paul and encouraged his faith. It is that surrounding that strengthened Paul to make the return journey to strengthen and encourage others. And so it is that surrounding that we need to value and to cultivate. Who is your surrounding? Who are you surrounding? You see, the Apostle Paul was not surrounded by these disciples because he did not already have a relationship with them. But because he did. And it was because he had cultivated that surrounding that they came and found him and strengthened him. So I want you to leave today with two considerations. The first is who needs your surrounding now? Think of your brothers and sisters. Who needs to awake to your presence so that you can encourage them in the faith, so that you can strengthen their soul? And then second, you do not know when you will come to this kind of tribulation. So what can you do now to cultivate relationships so that you will be surrounded? So that when you wake, if it's not in glory, but your race is not over, you will be strengthened and encouraged because of the disciples. So remember where you are. Remember where you are going. Look out to see who now needs your strength and encouragement. And then cultivate that community who will strengthen your soul and encourage you to continue in the faith. Let us pray together. Lord God in heaven, we thank you for this, your word. Lord God, we have heard your word read and preached, and we desire, as was prayed earlier, that you will strengthen our souls and that you will encourage us to continue in the faith. Lord God, will you renew our minds and strengthen our souls with the understanding of where we are and where we are going Lord, if we look at this world, these things do not appear to be so. But as we look at your word, you declare to us glorious things. And so we ask that by your Holy Spirit, we might believe that you would increase our faith to understand the nature of our lives in this world and to understand the end of glory. Glory. Lord God, will you help us, each one, to strengthen and encourage those around us who are walking through a dark valley? Will you help us, as your people, to surround those who are now in need? And will you bless us to use the time that we have, each Lord's Day and week to week, to cultivate these relationships in the body, so that we will continuously be strengthened and encouraged. Lord, we ask that you would do these things for your name's sake, that you would do good to us as your people, and that you would then use us in this world to bring this glorious news to others. And so we ask that you would do this in us by your word and by your Holy Spirit to the glory and praise of your name. Amen. Well, let's turn to